taking control of your digital storage. This is Mac Voices. Today's edition of Mac Voices is supported by Truebill. Get control of your subscriptions at truebill.com slash macvoices. Welcome to Mac Voices. This is the talk of the Apple community, and I'm Chuck Joyner. Folks, it's been a while since we talked to a Take Control author. I'm expecting that we will be doing a lot more of this as we hear WWDC announcements and things actually start getting released. Um, but that's then. This is now. This time, we're going to talk to Mr. Jeff Carlson about an update to his Take Control of Digital Storage book from Take Control Books. Jeff, it's great to see you again. We haven't talked for a while. Uh, it's been a while. I know. Uh, when we were corresponding, I noted that I feel like I've just had my head down for the last month or so. Uh, and then, you know, we sort of re- release a project, pop the head up and be like, oh, right. What else is going on? So it's a perfect time uh, to get together and talk like this. Definitely, definitely. And digital storage is something that every one of us deals with. I mean, some of the topics you and I talk about and the other Take Control authors talk about that maybe some folks can skip over because they don't use that program or they're not concerned about that particular issue. But this one is one that we all deal with every day on especially our Macs. Yeah, it's it's a weird thing. And I, I'm sure I've mentioned this before, but you know, you wouldn't think that a book about storage would be interesting. And yet every time I go to revise it, there's something new and strange and interesting and sometimes difficult that you know, someone might run into and not know where to go. You know, like as far as just operating your Mac, that's that's kind of one thing. And ideally, you don't have to think about all this stuff. But once you do, once you you know, find yourself with a full hard disk or you want to bring in uh, an external drive or you want to figure out what to use for, uh, you know, like longer term storage or do you want to buy a network attached storage and like these things kind of snowball, you know, okay, maybe there's something wrong with your disk. How... Do you go about using disk first aid? Well, it turns out that there are things under the hood that are a lot different in Monterey than they were in macOS Big Sur, than they were in you know previous editions. And suddenly you hit that point where you're you're sort of overwhelmed. It's like, well, if I do this, am I gonna break this? Or why is my um, in disk first aid, why is my my central hard disk, my internal drive, why is that showing up as three different volumes and one of them is gray and which one do I fix? And, you know, like it, it just leads to that sense of being overwhelmed and frustrated. And, you know, I mean, with take control, we want to avoid all that so that you have the answers in front of you. You don't have to get overwhelmed. You can say, you know what, Jeff has probably run into this because he wrote a, big old stupid book about storage and it's almost 200 pages. There's got to be something in here that addresses what I need. So that's the goal. Well, and it's, it's funny that you say that because, um, sitting here listening to you talk about it, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of looking around my, my studio here and thinking, okay, let's see, we've gone from spinning discs to Mm -hmm. fusion discs or fusion drives to SSDs. 
now we have NVMe SSDs. Um, <clears throat> you just brought up the the network attached attached storage NAS or NAS. Um, so yeah, there are a lot of different, and I, I think I have examples of pretty much every one of those storage mediums around here somewhere. <laughs> so yeah, it's, and, and I bet folks, a lot of you have at least, at least two, maybe three, maybe more of those. Um, and we, we all just yeah. say that, eh, that, you know, that's not terribly sexy. It just works. But as soon as you start having any kind of little issue, then you go running for something like Jeff's book to sort of figure out what you should do. Um, this is yeah. this is two point two, yeah. right? This is two point two version of the book. Two point two, yeah, right. Okay, yeah. So, so I, you know, the, the I think the biggest change is just making sure that it's updated for macOS Monterey. Um, you know, as as things change, we want to uh, you know keep things up to date because you know it turns out there are a few significant things in Monterey that that change when it comes to storage. But it's funny because. In some ways, I find myself writing a buyer's guide because, okay, I'm going to take a step back. In the past, I would say in the recent past, if you needed to upgrade your storage in some way, uh, let's say you have an external hard drive that's getting full, you would just you know go to Amazon or Newegg.com or someplace and say, all right, I have a one terabyte hard drive. I'm going to go and buy a four terabyte hard drive. And it was a really easy, uh, really easy decision. Um, maybe you would, you know, need to figure out, well, what speed is the hard drive? Is it a 7,200 RPM drive? This, this other one's really inexpensive, but it's 5,400 RPM. And maybe I need to do something that needs more performance. And so, you know, you, you kind of get into some of those little rabbit holes. But in general, it's like, okay, I need a new drive. This one's bigger. I can afford it. And you order it. That's just not the case now. Because now you have to ask yourself, okay, how much storage do I need? Should that storage even be on a, you know, traditional spinning drive, uh, even though I can get a lot of storage for my money, uh, maybe I don't want to have to wait so long for things to copy. So maybe I want an SSD. Okay, well, there are a bunch of different options of SSDs that are external or that you could, uh, you know, put into like like um, a little you know, bare hard drive case. Um, and maybe you want that to be, you know, like a normal SSD, but maybe you want it to be the NVMe type of, of storage and what should it be rated at? And then let's also throw in uh, what connector do you want for that? Should it be USB 4? Should it be Thunderbolt 3? Should it be Thunderbolt 4? What is Thunderbolt 4? Why are there four different kinds of USB 3.2 Gen 1 X Q R, you know, again, like your brain is exploding because it's no longer easy to just go to the website and say, I want a bigger hard drive. You have to take all these other things into consideration and you have to figure out, okay, if you're say, you know, doing some video editing, well, that's going to be a much bigger and a different conversation than if I just want to make sure that I have all my photos backed up somewhere. So I'm out of breath just talking about all this. <laughs> yeah. You know, honestly, I kind of skipped over the, uh, the connector part. 
Um, but you're absolutely right. You can spend a lot of money on a drive, but if you don't put it in the right box or get the right connection, right. you're just you're just wasting money because it's not you're not getting the performance out of it that it is capable of. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, you know, the, there are also like little surprises. So, for example, um, I should probably triple check this before I say this, but as of you know today, the beginning of June. Um, there's some issue with Apple's M1 Max, where even though they should be getting higher throughput uh, through the the um, USB-C ports, uh, they're not. And so, you know, you could go and spend a little bit of extra money because you want to get an external SSD that really has the best throughput. And it turns out that the computers won't actually support that. So maybe you could have saved yourself $100 to to just you know use what it's capable of now that's something that hopefully will be fixed in a firmware update who knows like it it's a known issue and it seems odd that that there is this limitation but you know it's again one of those things that you run into that you may not have known and so you spend three hundred dollars on an external ssd and you're like i'm gonna get you know two thousand uh uh megabits per second uh, transfer speeds and it's going to be wonderful and then you realize oh this really isn't that much different than if i had bought this you know two hundred dollar one so yeah there's a lot to it <laughs> well so what has i mean you started out by saying you know that the book was upgraded primarily from monterey and so mm -hmm. can you give us some ideas of things that have changed under the hood from, uh, let's see, what was it? Catalina. Catalina? Or no, Big Sur. Uh, Catalina, then, then Big Sur, then. So what has changed I, I know. Yeah, in Monterey <laughs> that, um, because I guess my first, my first thinking is that I don't remember being anything significantly different in Monterey, but maybe I haven't needed to fix anything or go under the hood. Well, that's just it. So, uh, you know, on, on the surface level, uh, storage wise, I don't think there's really anything that, that has changed in terms of what most people will notice. It's just when you, when you run into a problem. So, um, there are three things I'll, I'll, I'll mention three things about it. Um, so just to, to provide a little bit of context, um, Macs are now run using the APFS, uh, Apple File System um, protocol. Protocol is not the right word. Uh, file system. APFS file system, um, which, <laughs> which is wrong to say. It's like saying a, a PIN number. But anyway, APFS is at the heart of your storage. That's what you know, determines where all your files are going to be located, how the computer finds them, all of that. So it's like your, your base, base layer of how things work. Well, over time, Apple has been changing the way APFS works for your startup disk for security reasons. And so uh, in, in uh, macOS Big Sur, um, when you look at your, your, your desktop and you see your little Macintosh HD, like that's your hard drive. And you click it, you open it, it looks like one drive. Well, underneath, it's actually split out. So the, the system portion is on its own volume, and all your data 
is on another volume. And they did that for security purposes so that when, uh, you know, some malicious app tries to gain access to the system, it can't do it because that system volume is, is locked. And that's very cool. Well, in Monterey, they've taken that a step further. And what happens is, and this sort of boggles my brain to think about, uh, you know, what must be involved to make this happen. But basically, your computer is actually not really running from its internal drive in the way that we would expect. So now, macOS creates a snapshot, which is like, it's like a temporary copy of your system and is running the computer from that snapshot as another way of basically protecting your actual files uh, so that, you know, bad actors can't go in and either add files when they shouldn't or change files when they shouldn't. Now, I realize that this is really in the weeds, but this comes into play where if you have something that's um, going wrong, like your, your computer seems like it's not keeping track of files or something, what you do is you go into um, uh, Disk First Aid using the Disk Utility app, and you run Disk First Aid. Excuse me. Well, now when you look at it, um, you know your your system shows up as a you know a, like your your system uh, volume, and then you have your data volume, and then you have in gray this mounted snapshot volume, and so it's really easy to get confused as to like what's really running things. Um, now, so, so that's, that's one aspect of it. Following on to that um, is actually a pretty huge deal, which is it's no longer easy. It's possible, but it's no longer easy to make a bootable um, copy of your, of your system. And when it comes to troubleshooting, that becomes a very big deal. So before, what we would do is, um, and you know, this has been my advice for a long, long time. When you're making backups, you know, you have like a time machine backup, and then you make a bootable duplicate, preferably on an SSD, just because it performs a lot faster. So let's say you know something goes wrong with your computer, then you would just plug in that disk, say, I want to start up from the external drive, and run my computer, and then that you can either, you know diagnose what's wrong or, uh, you know, copy off files and erase everything. But it means that you don't have to sort of wipe everything from ground zero, reinstall your system, and then build up, say, from a time machine backup, which takes a lot of time. Well, we can't do that anymore because of the way Apple implemented this system of, uh, you know, running from a snapshot and having a protected uh, you know, system volume in, in deep down. And so what happens is um, apps like Carbon Copy Cloner and SuperDuper, they can make a bootable startup disk, but you have to jump through some hoops. And for example, you can make basically um, like a bootable duplicate that will run once that you can't update. It's Kind of confusing, and so it's causing us to to actually look at well, do we really need a bootable duplicate anymore? 
And so that's like one thing that I address in the book is maybe we really don't like that was great in the past, but now it's so difficult that there are other ways to, uh, you know, start up your disc. Um, also included in the book, just by necessity, it now has you know the information on how do you start up and get to the macOS recovery portion, which is that little sort of secret volume that has all the tools that you need on uh, M1 series Macs, which is different than what it used to be with the Intel series Macs. So, you know, again, you think this is just a, a tiny change that's not going to affect every, anybody. And for the most part, I think that's true. But if you do run into a problem, you could get bit really fast. And there's even <laughs> there's even another thing that, that you can't really do anything about is if your M1 series Mac disk is damaged, like it, something physically is wrong with it, you cannot start your computer, period, full stop. You got to take it to Apple. And I don't know what they do to it, but there's, you know, the, like, like these protections, which are great for security, uh, ripple down into, okay, well, if you run into a problem, what are you going to do about it? So that's two things. Um, and then the last thing I want to mention, which is actually a cool thing, which is, um, so APFS, like I said, creates the snapshot of your system disk. Um, and th this is something that, that uh, snapshots have been around basically since uh, APFS came in, I want to say three revisions ago. Um, and what your computer is doing, if you're not connected to a time machine disk, it's basically making little time machine backups every hour or so and storing on your, your internal drive so that if you need to go back to something that got deleted, there's a version of that in your computer, depending on how much storage you have and stuff. Well, before, if you had to do anything with snapshots, you had to go to the terminal and you had to, you know, type in different, um, you know, commands in order to either see your snapshots. Um, sometimes snapshots can get pretty big and take up a lot of space. And they, um, the, the way it's supposed to work is, as space is needed, they just get purged. Like the oldest one gets automatically deleted. But I've run into situations where that isn't necessarily the case. And the system reports that space as being free. But, uh, you know, your installer might say, no, there's not enough room for me to install this new program. And there's a disconnect. And so we'd have to go in and remove some snapshots. Well, one great change if you you know find yourself down this path is in disk utility you can actually see the snapshots there's there's an interface for it and you can select a snapshot and delete it from there you know again tiny thing but if you have followed that path it's super helpful to know that it's there and it's a lot easier than having to you know i mean honestly the times that i've had to deal with snapshots I've had to go find the PDF of my book and remember what the commands were because I knew that they were written there. I didn't have it in my head. So, you know, not much changed. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So. This edition of Mac Voices is supported by Truebill. Get control of your subscriptions at truebill.com slash macvoices. Over 80% of people have subscriptions they've forgotten about. Are you one of them? I bet you are. I know I am. 
How many subscription services are you paying for each month? Do you know? Subscriptions add up, and sometimes we don't notice the monthly deductions from our bank accounts or on our credit card statements. That's where Truebill comes in. With Truebill, you see all of your subscriptions in one place. You can keep the ones you want by doing nothing, and your Truebill concierge is there when you need them to cancel unwanted subscriptions, so you don't have to. No talking to humans, no difficult conversations, no one trying to talk you out of canceling. Matthew B. said, In a matter of seconds, I saved $660 for the year on my DirecTV bill, saved $120 for the year on my Sirius XM bill, saved $840 a year on my car insurance. Those are exactly the kind of subscriptions the Truebill can help you with. Start canceling your unused subscriptions today at Truebill.com slash MacVoices. Go right now, Truebill.com slash MacVoices. It could save you thousands a year. Truebill.com slash MacVoices. Thanks to Truebill for their support of MacVoices. So I'd love to go through each chapter of the book in detail, but... I was going to say, I, I totally overloaded you. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no. Be, I mean, we could overload by going through the chap- every, every chapter of the book, and we'd be here all next week. Yeah. Um, because <laughs> I, I, I just learned something, because I've, I've seen that, and I don't think it really registered with me as to what was happening and, and why. Um, I, I have to ask this question because it's the first thing that comes to my mind. So if my computer is running off of a snapshot, which I assume is not necessarily in RAM, it's loaded somewhere on my disk, whether that's an SSD or yeah. almost certainly is an SSD. Um, then what happens when I install a new application with preferences? I, I understand that the application probably goes you know, over here, but most things, uh, or if, if you start up a new app, it writes certain things into our system files, places that we, you know, well, we may go, but we shouldn't, or <laughs> unless right. we really know what we're doing. So then how does, is, is, is the snapshot that it's running, is it running from basically a copy of the most recent snapshot so that, that, that what I've installed, the information and, and data pieces are preserved on that? Is that how it's working? Uh, sort of. So, so it, it's creating a separate snapshot for the system. Um, so th- that's different from, from the time machine local snapshots that, that are being created like every hour. Um, and in terms of like, like when you add a new application, uh, this is where I, I, I get to say I'm not a developer. And so magic happens. And so the system, <laughs> The system basically, uh, you know, you'll install something and you have to give it uh, permission as an administrator to install it. And what I believe happens is basically, um, you know, that that new application gets stored in the applications folder in a way such that the next time you uh, restart your machine, then it creates a new snapshot snapshot with that in place. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm not sure the exact technical how of that, but there are ways that, that it references things securely so that, you know, you don't have to say install an application and restart your computer every time, which I believe we had to do in the, in the ancient dark ages, something like that. But, um, yeah, yeah. So, 
magic happens uh and it's you know just the way mac os is is uh, moving data around and referring to files now based on what we just talked about i want to make sure that i'm correct in saying <laughs> okay. to, to our our viewers and listeners that what jeff is saying about time machine and that every hour thing is not a reason for you not to have a uh, an adequate backup strategy. This is not a backup strategy. You know, this is a, <laughs> this is a break the glass kind of thing. If if something really goes wrong, but you still want to have, even if you can't boot from it, um, I would think under a worst case scenario, if you've created a super duper copy or a carbon copy cloner copy that if I had to reinstall the operating system and then migrate everything back over from that drive, that I could do that. It would take a little bit longer, but I would get everything back. But even that is still not a, a reason not to have that extra backup strategy. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, what I love about the, the time machine snapshots is that, um, and, and I, I say this because I, I have a laptop. Um, right now, I am basically in you know the studio of my house which is our our guest room that i've you know commandeered part of um to you know be able to do podcasts and things um but my actual office is upstairs and that's where my time machine disc is that i connect when i'm working upstairs so when i'm not connected to that the time machine snapshots are going to be storing uh, versions of my files. Let's say I'm I'm writing an article, and I've been here for you know, I don't know, all day. So let's say f five or six hours. And if I you know delete that article file and I empty the trash because I'm reckless and I'm not paying attention, then I could find myself out of luck because I haven't connected to my time machine disk, right? Well, because of these snapshots, I know that there is a version of that file from this morning at, you know, 10 o'clock or so that I can still recover that even though I have not yet connected to Time Machine. So it's like a little, um, it's like a temporary rolling backup. Uh, and then once you do connect to the Time Machine, it updates you know, the state of where your disk is at that point and cleans out it, you know, copies over the different versions from the snapshots and then clears the snapshots so that they aren't taking up any space. So this is a great thing if you're traveling, um, especially if, you know, again, you have plenty of space on your, on your computer because it will, you know, store some of these things that you may not, you know, get back to your computer for a week or something. And so again, like it's additional peace of mind. You should absolutely be making backups. And honestly, you know, if you're traveling for more than a week, I, I bring a little, you know, portable SSD that I have a, a carbon copy cloner uh, script that I can run that does make a duplicate of my information. So I have, you know, an extra right there, even, you know, traveling with me because it's just, yeah, it's only about this big. Okay. So once again, I'm, I'm hearing things that I think maybe we need to focus on a little bit that I, I think 
Time Machine has had kind of a a rough reputation. Um, you know, it it makes sense. It's a good thing, but I, I know I, I personally know a number of people that don't have it implemented. They certainly do not have a dedicated Time Machine disk. Um, and so I'm wondering, does is are these changes? Do they suddenly make having a Time Machine disk much a whole lot more important than they've ever been before? Hmm, that's a good question. Um, that's why I'm the host, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, maybe. I mean, so if you've never used Time Machine, um, basically, I think what will happen is you know you'll you'll get these snapshots stored on your disk, but uh, they will you know roll off and no longer be available on a much shorter time window. So I can connect to my time machine disk and know that, you know, I can go back several months or something and get a file that I may have deleted weeks ago with uh, local ones, local snapshots. You know, maybe a file that I had last week is no longer available. So, you know, it's to me as someone who, who likes to have backups and relies on backups, uh, you know, that's kind of playing with fire. And I would say, you know, especially, especially given the fact that you can get like a little Samsung or a uh, SanDisk, little SSDs, I mean, you can get a 500 gig SSD for under a hundred dollars now. Um, you know, let, let's say your internal drive is 500 gigs, um, you know, get, maybe a one terabyte disk, uh, sorry, one terabyte SSD and set that up as your, as your time machine disk, it's going to happen quickly. Um, it's, it's not that big of an issue. Um, my time machine disk is actually a five terabyte, uh, traditional disk. So it's, you know, just a little USB powered, but it's a, it's a spinning disk. Um, because I wanted to have, you know, plenty of storage on it. And because it's time machine, I, you know, I like, I, I don't care about performance. I just want to make sure that it's doing its regular backups when I'm connected. And, you know, even that was, I don't remember. I'd have to go look it up, but you know, you, you can get several terabytes for maybe a hundred dollars, $150. And it's just a little tiny USB powered thing. You don't have to deal with, you know, the, the big disks with their big power supplies anymore. So, you know, yes, it means spending more money, um, but it's, it's a relatively small amount of money for the peace of mind that, a, that any sort of backup will give you. And every, I mean, this, that's just, that comment comes up so often. And, you know, I constantly am asking people, what is your data worth? And what is your time worth? And you know, somewhere between those two, you should be able to come up with a calculus that says this this is or is not worth it. I mean, maybe it's not worth it for you, and that's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but if 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 somebody comes in, I mean, basically what we're talking about potentially is somebody comes in and takes your computer off your desk and disappears forever. Is is that going to mm-hmm. materially impact you? If the answer is no, then don't worry too much about some of this stuff. But I kind of don't think that I know very many people who could make that statement. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, and we have the advantages of having, you know, different, uh, you know, cloud storage stuff, which is another topic that's addressed in the book. Um, 
you know, like like all of my work files, I still use Dropbox, and so all of my work files are synchronized to a Dropbox. So, you know, I'm not concerned really that I'm going to lose any data. But if if my laptop were to just stop working, or you know, I drop it, or I, I'm in a hotel room and it gets uh, stolen somehow. I'm not concerned that I'm going to lose any data, but I'm definitely going to lose time. And it's going to take time to get a new computer or get it repaired. Uh, you know, maybe the laptop has to just go into Apple. And even though when I've had, uh, you know, repairs done through Apple, it's usually, you know, a pretty quick turnaround. Um, but that's still two or three days when maybe you don't have anything else to use and you're just, Adrift, or you know, you have to. I know one one speaker at a conference that I was at recently needed to buy a new computer, and the MacBook that she ordered just wasn't going to arrive in time. So she went and she bought, uh, you know, a, a MacBook Pro, and basically, you know, uh, used it. Her new one came, and then she returned the one that she bought, uh, you know, in in the return window, and. You know, like like that is an option. That was an option for her. It's not an option for everybody. But um, you know, how long is it going to take for you to get back on your feet? Maybe the stuff that you're doing isn't that big of a deal, and you can just call it a little, you know, computer vacation. Uh, but for a lot of us, you know, being without a computer for a day, two days, four days, that can make a big difference in the stuff that we need to get done and need to find you know, alternate devices to use, or maybe you can do it all on your iPad, all of those kind of things where suddenly, you know, your, your brain was focused on, all right, I have a task and I need to finish this task. And now suddenly there's this massive problem in the way, which is I can't do this task. And now what, and now how many hours am I going to spend trying to, you know, rebuild my data and, you know, it, it, it ripples. And so as much as possible, we want to reduce the amount of ripples. We want to reduce the amount of time that's, that's going to be consumed just dealing with the problem. And so knowing a bit of how these things are working and having some preparation in place, having some backups in place really goes a long way. And suddenly that $100, $150 that you spent on the backup drive is more than worth it. Agreed. T to wrap this up, I want to take us back to sort of where one of the places we started, because um, you just mentioned about something, a, a laptop getting stolen from your hotel room. These, uh, most of these changes also, I mean, they, they definitely enhance the reliability and the, since we've been talking backups, but they also are driven by security. And making sure that someone who does steal that laptop, okay, they've got your laptop, but they really can't get into your files. They've, it's, it's becoming more and more difficult to get into your files, which is something that I know I, things I have on my laptop, I don't, I don't want any, anyone getting into them except me. Um, and so that's a right. good thing. So if this seems maybe in places a little inconvenient, it sounds like it's probably worth it. Yeah, absolutely. Um you know, it's it, it it's always like that that cost benefit analysis. Uh, oh, geez, I sound like I I work in a real job. Um, you know, it's it's that 
sorry, risk analysis is probably the, be <laughs> the better way to, to put it. Um, and, you know, we all want to think that uh, we're not going to run into any problems. And quite honestly, um, this is going to sound like hyperbole, but, you know, for the most part, you know, owning Macs and, uh, you know, the, the, the high quality of how they're built, uh, for the most part, we don't run into problems. It's just when we do, sometimes they can be bigger than we think. And uh, again, like you don't want to put yourself in, in that situation. And you don't want to put yourself in a situation where suddenly you have to become an expert on Apple file systems and where you know, the, the system is storing things on disk and how to extract it. Or even, you know, things like, uh, it, like let's say you have an external disk and suddenly it's, you know, making a weird noise or it's starting to uh, copy much slower. Well, there are, are ways that you can look and, and check and see that, you know what, actually that may be a failing drive. I, I'm realizing this now early so I can replace it and move everything onto a newer drive before catastrophe happens. And unfortunately, those catastrophes sometimes do genuinely happen. Yeah. yeah. You know? yeah. yeah. So the book is Take Control of Your Digital, wait, your digital Storage? I, I, lost, yep. I lost my page here. Um, your Digital Storage. <laughs> it's TakeControlBooks.com, of course, is where you go to get this and all of Jeff's other Take Control books and all the other books from all the other great authors. Um, Jeff, do you know what the, what the price is on this? I know you said it was about 200 pages. Yeah, it's about two hundred, like one hundred ninety-three pages. I want to say um, the, the book is fourteen ninety-nine, and if you have a previous uh, version of it, you should have gotten an email from Take Control uh, that, depending on which version and when you bought it, etc., um, would have a, a discounted rate. So look for that email or contact Take Control and see, um, or log in to takecontrolbooks.com, uh, and uh, I think it will then tell you if you, you know, can get it for a $5 upgrade or something. Great, great. Hey, thanks so much. It's always uh, always a pleasure, and I'm, I'm going to say thank you on behalf of a lot of folks for writing this book, <laughs> because there's so many things here that it would be very easy to overlook, and hopefully maybe you'll never have to deal with them. But if you do, you either want to know how to deal with it or know where to go to get information on how to deal with it. And that would be Jeff's book. Um, Jeff, I guess we'll see you again next time. Next time. Sounds great. Thanks for having me on. It's good. Thank you very much. Folks, I'm Chuck Joyner. This is Mac Voices. Hopefully you've learned a few things about what's going on under the hood on your Mac in Monterey. I know I have. Um, I think I will be changing my behavior and maybe re-looking at my time machine strategy uh, because I didn't realize that it was quite this integrated into some of the improvements in Monterey. Until the next time, and as always, thanks for watching. Visit macvoices.com for show notes and to connect with Chuck on social media. Get involved in our Facebook group or like our Facebook page, and get more out of your Apple tech with Mac Voices Magazine, free on Flipboard and on the web. And if you find value in it all, Consider supporting us through either our Patreon campaign at patreon.com slash macvoices or by making a one-time donation via the PayPal link on our front page and in the show notes of each episode. 
you will join these fine people who help bring you Mac Voices. Advertising handled by Backbeat Media at backbeatmedia.com. Bandwidth provided by Cashfly at cashfly.com.